Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, good morning, North Main. If I have not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt McCarrier. I'm a member here. Um, I'm just always excited to come and preach with you and to uh, share the gospel. And I've got an exciting message this morning. I hope that um, it's something that resonates with you. I'm going to try, as you uh, are probably aware, if you've experienced any of my sermons, I try to be a little bit more laid back. I'm going to try to do that today as well, just to, um, I just like to be a real conversational. And so today I'm going to be upfront and honest. This is something that we're going to be talking about. Um, is something that I'm still trying to figure out, I'm still wrestling with. It's something that um, I'm still in the midst of trying to find what God's word says and how to then enact that in my life. So if you walk away today and you're like, oh, I'm not sure if he really gave me a definitive, like, what to do next, that may be, because I'm still trying to figure that out. But I think what we can do this morning is look at a passage of scripture and really pull out of it what it's trying to tell us and really see what does that mean for us today, and try to take what we can and what we can understand from it. And so we're going to continue on this morning with talking about the kingdom of peace. We've been talking about that the past few um, weeks. Pastor Brandon has been sharing this idea of how God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, is it's a place of peace. It's almost defined by peace, um, a peace and love. And so we see uh, this picture painted, uh, not only by Christ, but by the disciples, by the writers of the word, of this place. He, he's, Christ speaks um, consistently about this kingdom, that his kingdom, that God's kingdom, that's upside down from our kingdoms. That looks very different from the ways that this world looks. And so uh, we have this, king, this idea of this kingdom of peace. And if you look out in the world today, we don't see anything like that anywhere. Um, we don't see a kingdom of peace anywhere. We don't see a kingdom of love anywhere. And so this idea is hard for us sometimes to grasp. It's hard to even say, well, what does that, tangibly, what does that even look like? It's nice to talk about, but what, I mean, is this even, well, how do we even think about this? Um, and we've been looking through um, part of the Old Testament. Today we're going to look in uh, Isaiah, and we're going to be... Looking in Isaiah 42, and it's funny because this passage this morning is all about Christ, it's all about justice, and I thought it was so interesting. Uh, Pastor Brandon uh, makes up the, the sermons, and he kind of picks loosely, you know, the themes and the, and the, uh, the passages that we're going to do, and then and I work with him, and we kind of figure out what we want to preach on and where we want to go, and and uh, it's so interesting because time and time again, he has given me um, just this like rough outline idea, and it's been so in tune with just what's going on in our culture. Uh, and, and so it's been, it's been so amazing because I just like trust that implicitly when he hands me something like, hey, this is from God, and, and then I can work with it. And it's so cool to see that this week, um, as I'm sure most of you know, that the trial for Derek uh, Chauvin happened this week. And so from both sides, left and right, there were cries for justice. There were cries for peace. And it's really interesting to see what each side thinks justice looks like 
and what each side thinks peace looks like. And it's interesting to see that the Bible takes a third option and looks very different. And we're going to look at this today and we're going to read through and try to say, well, what does this mean? What does this justice of the biblical nature look like? See, one of the things that I have been wrestling with for the past, I'd probably say, two or three years is where do I stand in this culture? Where do I stand as a Christian in this culture? And a lot of times uh, you have the left, you have the right, and I find myself consistently in the middle. And I find myself time and time again being able to look at certain points of view at each place and say, man, there's, I see a little bit of this and I see a little bit of that, and I find this um, gray area to be very, I found it very uncomfortable for a long time. I struggled with it because I struggled with this idea that maybe I was like the Christian that they talk about sitting on the fence. I was unwilling to take a side and so I was wishy-washy, I was lukewarm and I struggled with that so much but I just couldn't. I just couldn't jump to like one or the other side on like most things. There were some that I definitely could. I was like, hey, I definitely am on board with this. But there was a lot of things, specifically social justice issues, where I just found myself, hey, each situation's a little bit different, and, and what the, the, the circumstances here are a little bit different than this one, so I don't really want to lump it in with this one. And, and this is a totally different issue. And, and when you actually talk to someone who's been through this, I can't just blanketly statement this anymore. And I struggled, and I struggled. And the more I've struggled with it and the more that I've spent time in Scripture reading, the closer I've been growing to Christ, the person who is Christ, the more and more I've found comfort in this gray area. And you may dislike me for saying this, but I think Christ lived in a gray area. I think he was critical of people that the rest of the world were not critical of. I think that he dined with people that the rest of the world would not dine with. I think he was forgiving of people that the other people didn't want to be forgiving of. And yet with those same people that he forgave, he called them to a higher standard. He didn't write people off, but he didn't leave them where they were either. He was not black and white. He had certain standards. Sure, we're going to talk about it, what it looked like. But he, in every situation, he behaved in that situation differently. We see that with how he healed people, with things that he did. He walked in and he was different. And so I struggle. I struggle when I look out and I see two sides. And they say, well, this is what justice is or this is what peace is. And I say, That's, I can't get on board with that because of this and I can't get on board with that because of this. So I got to stand here. And then the more I thought about that, the more I thought, that's probably an okay place to be. And the reason I say that is because the Bible tells us that the road to heaven is hard. And let me tell you, there's nothing harder than standing in the middle and having both sides tell you that you're wrong. And there's nothing harder than standing in the middle and refusing to budge when the whole world is trying to rip you to one side or the other. That's a very narrow road, and it's hard, 
and it's hard to walk and it's hard to navigate because it's much easier to jump to one side and fall into the crowd and be a voice, a nameless voice. But to be a person who stands and says, I refuse. I refuse to be okay with that. And so today we're going to look, what does justice mean to Christ? Because it's a little bit of both sides, I will tell you. And you may be uncomfortable with that. You may be like, well, I don't necessarily like that. Okay, I'm sorry, I don't like it either sometimes. But we're going to look at what justice is. And here's one of the big problems, is even vocabulary. There's two types of justice. The first is retributive justice. A lot of times this is how we view justice, specifically in our culture. It's the idea that we want to um, seek justice through retribution. So punishment. For something like murder, a lot of times, this is one of the only ways we can seek to figure this out. How can we make this situation right? How can we, how can we make, alleviate the pain and make this pain go away? And we found that it's very, uh, it doesn't really work very well. And there's a lot of differing ideas of what the retribution should be. I, we see that whenever there's murder cases, right? Someone can commit murder. It's across the board, it's the same act of killing someone, and yet there can be vastly different sentencing. Why? Because it's hard to figure out what a punishment should be, because how do you punish someone for taking a life? How do you make that thing right? The, the idea of justice is to make it right. So how can we make that right? We can't. So a lot of times we have differing views of what that should look like. A lot of times one group thinks that the retribution should be this, and the other group thinks it should be this. And so we fight back and forth, and a lot of times justice just never comes, or it doesn't come, it comes for one group, it doesn't come for the other, or we feel like it's just unsatisfying. When the Bible talks about justice, it speaks about justice differently. It talks about restorative justice. So restorative justice is when you restore the standing of the person who has been wronged. Now, it's very hard for this to happen whenever it's like a murder case, right? The person who has been killed cannot come back to life. We see that. And so there are times when we just are in this gray, kind of hard place. We're trying to figure this out. But the majority of time, whenever it says seek justice, right? Seek justice in the Bible. It's talking about restorative justice. How can we restore the standing of the widow back to where she was prior to her husband dying? How can we restore the orphan back to the place that they were before they lost their parents? And there's actions within the Bible that talks about doing that, right? So justice with orphans, we bring them into our home and make them like us as one of our family. It restores their place in our community and it restores their place within a family. Widows, we welcome them in because it restores their standing in the community. The sick, we don't make them shunned out to the outside. We take care of them because we know that they can't take care of themselves. So here's these things, is that this is a very different type of justice. It's almost a proactive form of justice. It's seeking out these places and bringing them back into the fold, restoring them. 
But this is really, really hard justice to do. It makes us really uncomfortable. Because we have to go places that we don't want to go. We have to talk with people that are marginalized. A lot of times we have to deal with situations that are really hard. And a lot of times if we're just straight up honest, we look at people and say, well, I've got hard things going on too. I gotta take care of myself. So we struggle. We struggle and we lean back onto retributive justice. Well, listen, we will, uh, if something bad happens to you, we'll make sure the person who did it gets in jail or whatever, but that's, you know, that's where we're going to stop. And that may make you feel good for a time, but it doesn't bring you back into alignment. It doesn't restore a relationship. It doesn't build anything. And so today, when we look at Isaiah 42, I'm going to set it up a little bit. We're going to look at what the Prince of Peace how he demonstrates justice. Isaiah 42. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, is um, broken up into three sections. The three sections go over uh, three different kind of generations of the people of God. We have the uh, Assyrian exile, the Babylonian exile, and then when they're post-exile, they're out of the exile, and they're back into the nation. So Isaiah, the book, covers all of those. And where we're going to read today, 42, it's during the Babylonian exile. And so we have uh, the the nation of God, these these people of Judah, the nation of Judah has been uh, taken by the Assyrians. They have then been taken by the Babylonians. They've been displaced. They're in this place where everything is in ruin. If you read the beginning of Isaiah, it talks about how uh, the, the author just looks out and says, look at our country. He says, the cities are on fire. Does that sound familiar? He says, the people are nowhere to be found. The temple sits empty. How many churches sit empty? And not just because of, you know, where you sit politically. They were closing up long before COVID, I can tell you that. So here's the thing, is that it's a very interesting parallel to this place where we are sitting right now. And God speaks out and he says, listen, I'm going to send you something. Because he knew that this idea of justice, how do we even how do, we even do this? When everything is burning, everything's on fire, what does justice look like? What is, how do we as Christians live and try to seek justice like the Bible tells us? To love mercy and to walk humbly, how do we do that? The people are crying out, how do we do that? How do we get back to you, God? That's what they're saying. They're in this terrible place. How do we get back to you? And God says this, Isaiah 42. He says, look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. Again, that justice that he, they're talking about there is not retributive justice. Because here's what the, the people who heard it misunderstood. When they heard it, they thought the Messiah, right? They're, this is one of the uh, earliest uh, prophecies about the Messiah. And so when the people heard it, they misunderstood it and they thought they were going to get retributive justice. They thought that all of their enemies were going to be crushed beneath them, that they were going to be enslaved just like they had been enslaved, that politically the tides would turn. But this justice that he speaks about is restorative justice. He says, no, no, no. My plan is to restore relationships 
to restore your standing in my kingdom, my kingdom of peace. It says, he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. Again, interesting. This idea, these people are hearing this, yes, 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 right? That whoever wronged me is going to get it. But wait a second. Right before that, he will not crush the weakest reed. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. It's very interesting. Number four, in verse 4, he will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. And it is he who says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you. And I will give you my people, Israel, as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. Interesting thing here. He's, Isaiah is speaking to the people of God who are literally sitting in like dark dungeons at this moment. And yet he's speaking about Christ, who is the Messiah. And so can you imagine how they're thinking, they're sitting there thinking, yeah, he's going to let us out of prisons, but yet he's talking about the Babylonians, he's talking about the Gentiles. Do you see how upside down this is? Do you see how radically different than our thinking it is? The people who received this message, so often when we receive this message, when we read it, you're, you will open the eyes of the blind, we think of ourselves if you've accepted Christ, you're no longer blind. It says, you will, set, you will free the captives from prison. He's just been talking about someone he's going to make see. Carried on in the conversation, he's not talking about someone different. He's talking about the same people. He's going to set them free too. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're no longer in prison. He will release those who sit in dark dungeons. Again, we think it's about us. It's talking about the people outside these walls. This is the gray area where we look at it and we can be comforted by this because yes, Christ did this already for us. And yet, this is no longer about us if we've accepted Christ. It's about those outside. It's restorative justice. It's not retributive. We want to look out and we want them to be punished. Why would you want them to be punished? You didn't want to be punished. I didn't want to be punished. But we look out and we read this verse and we're like, yeah, they're going to get it. Those people who think differently from me politically are going to get it. I watched a video this week. I showed my dad. Um, and the officer said, can you believe this? I brought it in and there was a guy on social media, and, and there were some people, they were protesting, and they were Democratic people. They were um, on the left, and they were protesting something. I'm not entirely sure what they were protesting, uh, but a person who was from the Republican side on the right came up to them and just started screaming, screaming profanities, telling them that they were going to hell, and the person on the left said, well, I'm a Christian, 
And the, uh, the other person said, I don't care. And then the other person said, well, you know, God loves you too. And the person turned around and said, I know he does, but he hates you, and then walked away. If that's how you think, you don't understand what this word is saying. But that's what we want. That's what we want when we insult people from the other side politically. We want to bring them down. When we say nasty, terrible things about people we don't agree with, we want them to stay in prison, and yet the Lord is saying justice for the nations looks like freedom for all people. Amen. This is why I think this, or I said I've, I've kind of adopted this life in this gray area because I can't just sit by and allow people to, uh, to tell me that it's okay for me to hate another people group because I refuse to do that. But I also, I can't fully get on board with some of these social justice movement groups. Why? Because they want retributive justice too. They want to separate people. So where do I stand? I stand as, on this side, I'm a bigot. And on this side, I'm a leftist socialist. I've been called both to my face. And I said, that's probably a good indicator that I'm in the right spot. It's kind of funny because I've told my wife my favorite color is gray. And I know a lot of people are like, that's not even a color, man. I'm like, okay, it's fine. Uh, our house is gray. If you've been to our house, like I painted all the walls gray. I wear a lot of gray. I like it. Just kind of like became me. That's just where I live. Because I'm in this place where I have to, I have to be willing to see both sides and say, I don't know if I agree. I'm going to try to follow what Christ did. And I, I fail a lot. I fail a lot and I take easy routes out. But Here's the thing, is that Christ set up an example of what looks different. Let me finish here so we can get to some of our points. Verse 8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. Everything I prophesied has come true, and now I will prophesy again. I will tell you the future before it happens. So from that, if you're unfamiliar with when you're looking at a passage of scripture, there's what's called eisegesis and there's what's called exegesis. Exegesis is, I always remember it as it's got the word exit in it, and so you're, you're pulling something out. It's exiting out of the passage to you. Eisegesis is me putting what I want into it. So how do we exit something out of this that's good for us to live by? So I looked at these first parts and I said, this is a de uh, description of who Jesus is. And if it's a description of who Jesus is, then it's who I want to be. So I tried to sum it up. What does it look like? What are these characteristics? And our key point, yeah, it's God's demonstrates, demonstration of justice comes through his peaceful servant, Jesus. So how are we going to do this restorative justice? How are we going to figure out in every situation what it looks like and how to live it? And the only thing I can think of is, just looking at Christ and trying to model. I mean, I know it sounds simple. We want to make it more complicated, but it's really hard if you're truly trying to do it. Because here it is, is that Jesus was not black or white. He was right in this middle. He had some of these qualities that, that we demonize, and he had other ones that we praise, and there was things that, that were, he mixed them all together, and he melded them into this way that was so powerful. The first one I pulled out was in 40, Isaiah 42.2 says he will not shout or raise his voice in public. Oh, man. 
I mean, because we barely talk in public anymore, we could probably change that to social media, to the internet, however you want to word it. How do we remain calm? It's hard. But we see it time and time again in how Christ talked with people. So often I see um, so many people, they, they kind of fight back against this calm. And the next one is level-headed. They're from this same passage, 42.2. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He's calm and he's level-headed. He looks at the situation. He hears the things that are coming and he thinks on them. You see that whenever uh, the, they're going to stone the woman, right? And what's he do? He gets down and he, I, I can just picture him. He gets down and they say he's writing in the dirt. He's waiting and he's listening and he's taking stock of the situation and he's calm and he's level-headed and he stands up and eventually people are like, what is that guy doing over there? They're drawn to him because everyone else is riled up. Can you imagine? It was not an orderly thing when they stoned somebody. I can tell you that. If you think they're all like waiting there and they're like waiting in line, <laughs> it was a mob. They would have dragged her from her home, thrown her out, and people would have been screaming and yelling and picking up rocks. Just massive chaos surrounded about her, terrifying. And you have this guy over here who's a rabbi, a teacher, and he's just standing there like this. And he's probably watching it all, calm and level-headed. And he stands up and he calmly says, hey, whoever has never said a sin or never done a sin, you guys can go ahead and throw a stone. Jeez, that's so different than our interactions. I listen to, it, it, I don't fully buy into everything he says, but I listen to a, um, a psychologist named Jordan Peterson. And um, some of the things that he says are just spot on. One of the things I was listening to the other day, he was speaking about um, this idea that he, he has trouble with um, a lot of these, uh, these riots and, and a lot of the... Uh, the people who are going and protesting and things like that. He has, he has trouble across the board from both sides with them. And one of the things that he says is, he has this analogy of having a messy room. And he says, how can you, you live in a house, and he goes, you live with people a lot of times, with other people, and he goes, how ridiculous is it if you have your own room in that house to go down and yell at everybody about the state of the living room if your bedroom that is your own is just completely trashed? And he says, a lot of times what I see from both sides in these, these protests are they're going out and they're screaming, your sin is so bad. And he's saying, I think, well, you have sins too. It's this idea that Jesus talks about it, right? Take your own log out of your eye before you talk about the speck in other people's eyes. Now, this analogy can only go so far because we know as Christians that we can never fully clean up our room, right? Because Christ had to do it for us. Right? Christ had to do it for us. That's how we receive salvation because we cannot clean ourselves up. But we can strive for it. We can strive for it. We can remain calm and level-headed and not just run to reactions, not just run to these things. The next one I picked up after level-headed was in verse 3. He's gentle. Oh man, so often we want to be heavy-handed. So often, and if there's anybody that could be, it was Jesus. He had the right to be. He created us. 
He had every right to be however hard in discipline he wanted to be, yet he was gentle. It says, he will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. In other translations, it says, will stoke the embers of a fire. I almost like that one a little bit better because I, I, I was building a fire the other day when it got cold, and I remember I had both my daughters on either side, and they, want, they like helping to build a fire, and, and it was starting to go, and, and I remember my one daughter was like fiddling with it, and I said, stop, stop, stop. I said, just let it be. I said, we're going we're gonna to just blow on it a little bit. We're going to give it some air. We're going to be gentle with it. And she's like, well, why? And I said, well, because fires are kind of like people. They need food. They need air. They need to be held gently <laughs> to be ignited. And I can't help but think that, that Christ is sitting there with these people and he's saying, I can't leave you where you are. I need to get you a flame. You're not going to be a, an ember, but I'm going to be real gentle with it. I'm going to be level-headed. I'm going to be calm. I'm going to speak to you on your level where you are. Now, a lot of people kick back on this and say, well, what about whenever he went into the temple and started flipping tables and doing all this? That didn't seem too gentle. That was like the only time that he did that, and he was criticizing the, the religious leaders. He was not criticizing the outside people. This is another thing that I struggle with. I listen to a lot of uh, preachers online, a lot of podcasts, a lot of YouTube videos. And a lot of times I like to comment on them. I, I, I would be more than happy to put every comment up on this screen. I don't feel you know, bad about them. I don't hide them. I try to be very, very polite. I try to be very, very courteous. Um, but I also don't shy away from something that maybe I felt was incorrect in what they spoke. Or if I need clarity, that's usually why I do it. I, I'll reach out and I'll say, hey, you said this in your sermon, and I'm just I'm not understanding it. I, I don't understand why you said it. Can you give me more clarity? And most of the time, 90% of the time, they don't answer back. But sometimes they do, and I've had some cool interactions. Um, but the other day, I heard something, and it was just really, really theologically incorrect. And so I said, hey, please, I prefaced it. I said, please do not think that this is me attacking your faith. I said, I don't know you're standing with Christ. I said, but what you were saying, I just can't get behind theologically. I don't understand it. I said, and I listed some verses. I said, these verses point clearly almost to the opposite of what you're saying. And the person who, who did the sermon didn't answer me, but a person did reply and basically said, people like you are why the church is in where it's at. You need to stop questioning we need unity. We need unity. And I answered back and I said, I, I have to respectfully disagree. I said, I, I have to agree and disagree. That gray area, right? I literally said that. I said, I have to agree and disagree. I said, we need unity. But not incorrect unity. Not unity over a club that we're in. Unity over the fact that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And that he's the only way to receive salvation. Beyond that, we can have a little bit of disagreement. And we should, so that we get it right. We should. That's why we should be gentle. Because if you've ever been in a, in a conversation where you're being attacked, it's not too much fun. You can't have critical conversations. You can't have uh, constructive thinking. Because you're constantly on the defensive. You're like, hey, 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 hey. Even if what you're saying is right, I can't accept it because I just, you're throwing it at me, right? It's like, it's like someone tossing a ball at me. I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> but if you hand it to me, hey, check this out. I can look at it and eh, 
Maybe, maybe some of it, maybe not. It's gentle. It's how we interact. It's how we restore relationships. The next one is that he's also strong. Isaiah 42, 3, he'll bring justice to all who have been wronged. What kind of statement is that? To all who have been wronged, bring justice. He's a person who is beyond any of our strength. I certainly couldn't hope to ever do that. But here's the thing is that a lot of times people want to think that they can. But if we're trying to be like Christ in this situation, if we're trying to be like Christ in this political climate, gentle does not mean weak. He was strong. He stood before the political leaders of his time and would not budge. He looked the teachers dead in the eye and would say, oh, you're like whitewashed tombs. Can you imagine the guts it took to do that? I don't know if I would do it. When there's, I think about some of these major, major, major players in, um, in Christianity, right? Would I have the guts to stand up? I'm not, I'm not their level yet, right? Now, Christ was Christ, so it's different. But here's the thing is that we have to be strong, but also gentle. We like to pick some of the ones that we like and not the other ones. We also have to be calm and strong and level-headed and strong. And finally, we have, he was unwavering. 42.4. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. See, we want to be, we like this unwavering one, right? I see that a lot. I will stand and I will not fall. I will not let this happen. But Here's some of the things is that the way we do it are not calm or gentle. They're not level-headed. It's usually very reactive. It's usually very angry. So here's the thing is that I, I will be straight up and honest. I, I don't have the answer. When I look at this passage and as I was struggling to try and figure out what I was going to preach on, I was struggling to give points and I even emailed these in um, throughout the week and I said, I don't have like standard points. I just have what I can pull out of this. Um, We have to look like Christ. I know that. We have to be disciples of Christ. We have to stop looking at the world and saying that political ties are what we should be like or, 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 or this regional place or even or racial ties or or sexuality that this is the camp and this is how I'm going to do everything by this is it cannot be that way Isaiah it talks about how everything was wiped out and Isaiah at the very beginning says I'm so thankful for God that he saved a remnant remnant of us so we could continue on I don't know where we are in the process. And I don't pretend to be some big prophet, but I can tell you in reading scripture and in feeling out what's happening, talking with Pastor Brandon and others, if we don't change, we're going to be a remnant. And it's going to be small. And here's the thing is that how do I have peace even in the midst of that, right? 
we talk about, okay, justice is great, but justice comes with peace. This restorative justice. See, if all of us did these things to the best of our ability, I can promise you there would be much less murder. There would be much less hate. There would be no need for the retributive justice. There's always going to be rebellion. But here's the thing. I have peace because I know that this is the Christ that was sent. When it all boils down to it, I can look at this passage and it's a both and. It's a little bit of a gray area in the same. Because I can see Christ, they're speaking directly about Christ. But it's also speaking to us, about us. We're supposed to be disciples of Christ, therefore representations of him. So we're supposed to be the light. We're supposed to be gentle. We're supposed to be, and and Christ says that we can. He says when he um, goes back up into heaven, he says, uh, I am going to leave with you the Holy Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to do the things that I did. Maybe even greater things. That's why I have peace. Because this passage shows me that God loves me. Not only did he send an example so that I would know what justice and peace looked like in a time when it's really, really, really messy, but he also sent a savior who was unwilling to leave me in the prison Unwilling to leave anyone in the dark prison. He loves us and that he will not stop until justice is spread to all the nations. So, like I said, I don't know where you struggle. Maybe one of those words is like a really, really hard place for you. You're like, man, I, I'm just, I have a really hard time keeping calm when I have, you know, things are level-headed. I would just challenge you, this is what I do or what I've been doing Take those words and just in every situation, every interaction, be like, okay, am I being calm? Am I being level-headed? Am I being strong? Am I unwavering? And there's going to be times, if you're honest with yourself, you're like, no, I did not handle that right. But the more you do it, the more you think, the more you do it, it becomes habitual. You become a disciple. That's how it works. But it's hard. So we won't get there overnight. But I just want to encourage you, join me in that journey. Try to, try to make each day a little bit better than the last. Will you join me in prayer? Dear God, we just come before you this morning and we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word because... It gives us guidance in times when it's really, really, really hard. When the, it seems the easy route is to join in the shouting and yet your word tells us, nah, that's not the way to justice. That's not the way to peace. When it's really easy to jump in and hate the person next to us and your word tells us we have to love our neighbor. God, I pray that if there's people here, myself included, struggling with that, whatever it is, let us let go of whatever's keeping us from it. There's something in us 
where we just won't let it go. We're stubborn sometimes. God, we invite your Holy Spirit into our lives. Holy Spirit, we come before you. We apologize. We apologize for suppressing your input into our lives and your direction. We apologize for ignoring you. We apologize for acting before you've told us to act and in directions that you did not tell us to go. God, this morning we just pray. We pray that we open our hearts to you and our ears and our minds. We take a deep breath that we are willing to unclench our fists, to relax and to handle these situations that you put us in, each individual, with calm, level-headed, gentleness, strength, and being unwavering. And we want to be like Christ. We thank you that you sent him, because we know that even if we want to be like him, we can't achieve perfection on our own. God, we pray if there's anyone here who is struggling with what it means to be a disciple of Christ or what it means to be in a relationship with Christ, that you open their hearts to that. God, allow them to pray. Allow them to declare with their hearts and their minds and their lips that you are Lord and to change their actions and their daily lives to reflect that God. For each of us, we, we pray for freedom from that captivity, the captivity and slavery of sin, sinful thoughts, angry thoughts. We want peace. We ask for it genuinely. We want peace. And we want justice. We want restorative justice. We want racial tensions to be undone. We want racial restoration. God, we want gender restoration, God. We want sexual restoration, God. We want these things where there's just so much brokenness. We want healing. God, allow us to be a part of that healing. However you plan to do it, because you are a God of justice, so we know you're doing it. God, allow us to be open to how you move and where you move. God, we lift up your name and we praise you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.